Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Gio and Joey. We're going to be doing something a little bit different today. And before I expound on that, Joey, how are you doing today? Better than I deserve. Amen, brother. So today what we're going to do, we're going to be looking at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Well, actually 16 through 23 on another episode, we'll expound on the rest. But the reason we're doing it is because we've been told that this chapter is really indicative of what it's going to be like in the last days. And I think we're living on it. Joey, how do you feel about us doing that today? I'm really excited, actually, because, well, we're not like a Bible bashing podcast, right? We don't try to enforce our faith on anyone. At the end of the day, we believe it's true. And I think when we, as we go through Romans, I think it'll fit like a glove with what's going on in the headlines, right? With what we see, the chaos and the pain and the sickness that's just normal nightly news for us. So I think, I think connecting the scripture with the headlines will be very enlightening. Yes. And before we do that, we're going to look, though, at the good news that Joey and I live by, the good news that we want to share with others, the good news that we want others to have. So go ahead, Joey, read these first two verses and let's discuss them real quick. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So as you hear the word in that first clause, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, what would you tell somebody who may not know? What is the gospel? It's our hope, right? It's everything, right? In other words, it's the fact that God, right, cared enough about his creation, right? It's that he came down and lived among us and died the most brutal kind of death that we can be free, right? In other words... And in a society, right, I know we did an episode on evolution, but in a society where the the foundational message really is evolution, that we're worthless, right, I think the gospel puts hope right into the picture, right? In other words, we're not just part of an endless cycle of dog eat dog and the big, the, the big destroy the weak, right? In other words, we are creatures created by a God who loved us so much that he was willing to die and to lose aspects of his divine nature in order to save us. So I just think that's incredibly good news. So I like what you said. You know, the good news, the gospel is the fact that we were all dead men walking, dead men and women walking. Our fate is death. But Jesus intervened. The gospel is that he died. He took our place where we deserve death. He gave us his life and where he deserved eternal life. He took upon our death. And that second clause, though, for who is the gospel? Does the gospel exclude anybody according to that second clause? Nope. Sometimes we like to make it exclude people in our sinful humanity. But it's for it's for everyone. Right. God. God didn't die for a certain race or a certain sect. Right. He died for all mankind. That's true. Like, there's a lot of talk in our society about inclusion, and often it's uh, it's not a godly thing. But like, this is like the true inclusion. This is the good kind of inclusion. Yes, I mean, it says right there that it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That means black or white, tall, skinny, fat, gay, straight, lesbian. 
whatever. Anyone who believes in the gospel. And the reason, though, it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek is because the Jews were entrusted with this news. And that's why they heard it first. But they were to disseminate it like Christians are doing today, disseminate it throughout the whole world. Look at this second uh, verse. It says, for in it, obviously speaking of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. How do you understand that second verse? Well, so I'm reminded of a story, right? So the guy, the kind of the head honcho who started this whole Protestant Reformation thing, right? And obviously we're a Protestant podcast. Martin Luther, when he was still a Catholic priest, he struggled with not with feelings of inadequacy and not knowing right if his works were good enough to get him into heaven right and he he would actually do these acts of like self sabotage or self flagellation right we'd whip himself and one time he was he was in Rome and he's crawling up the stairs that supposedly were the stairs um, that Jesus had to walk to Pilate's um, palace or whatever and he's going to walk up them on his knees. And so his knees are bruised and bloody. And when he gets about halfway up, these verse, this verse comes to his mind. But the righteous man shall live by faith, or the just shall live by faith. And he realizes, like, what am I doing? Right? He's like, I'm doing all this stuff. And yet, Christ paid the price, right? In other words, I, I don't have to do this in order to be saved, right? Christ did it. And so I, that's what come, comes to my mind, is that no matter, like, we can try to do all these different works, but ultimately it's all going to be nothing but filthy rags, right, if we don't have the blood of Christ. Yeah, and for me, what I like to look at is that anybody who understands a little bit of English grammar, this is kind of, in a way, passive, right? For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, it's revealed. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the righteousness of God, but God himself is not walking among us today revealing his righteousness. And how does he reveal it? From faith to faith. Joey, from your faith, from my faith. You know, when I see somebody who is, this is one meaning of it. When I see people who are going through tragedy, who still remain faithful to God, that is encouraging. But not only is that one aspect of it. The other aspect is in my own life. Little by little, my faith has kept increasing as I see God's beautiful hand leading me. And one thing before we dive into verses 18 through 23 is that if you notice, it says, but the righteous man shall live by faith. It's quoting from the Old Testament. The phrase, the righteous man shall live by faith, the just shall live by faith, is found three times in the New Testament, here in Romans, in Galatians, and in the book of Hebrews. However, this is an Old Testament concept. Why is that important in light of how some Protestants believe that you're saved in two different manners, depending whether you're in the Old Testament or in the New? Yeah, so you're referring to the idea of the two covenants, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think there's some confusion, right? In other words, God saved the Jews one way, and God saves us in the new covenant another way. But that's that's not true, right? If if you look, I mean, first of all, it's like what you're pointing out, right? The New Testament is full of parallels to the Old Testament. And when you look at the heroes of faith, 
right, that are outlined in the New Testament, it's guys like Abraham, right? What did Abraham do? Well, he was this super messed up dude who cheated on his wife and lied to kings and all sorts of terrible stuff, and yet he was a friend of God, right? He wasn't saved because of his goodness. I mean, he this, this dude... He wasn't good. Let's just say that. But he is saved because he was a friend of God. Right? In other words, that covenant that saved him was a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the same thing that saves us in the new covenant. Yes. And I like how it, the, the phrase, the just shall live by faith, is actually found in the book of Habakkuk. And the context of that is that God is going to use a wicked nation, Babylon, to punish Israel. And Habakkuk is saying, how could you do that? And God is saying to him, you need to trust me in the darkest moments. And that's what the gospel is all about. In the darkest moments, when you feel like your life is not worth living, when you feel everything is lost, when you think everything is against you, you need to trust God because if you trust in him, he will get you through the storm. He will get you through these dark days. And I think of the recent shootings we've had in in the Christian school, in the bank. These events can be construed as real dark. But despite that, if we stay faithful to God, if we continue to trust God, that doesn't mean we may not lose our life here, but we're promised eternal life. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that the final word is not settled by man. The final word is settled by God. And those who trust him will have eternal life. That's part of the beauty of the gospel. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. All right. So now, though, we're going to get into the description of the last days. So God has given us the gospel in verses 16 and 17. Everyone who believes in him can be saved. No one is excluded. But then with the good news comes the reality of what he's saving us from. And before we continue, I want to point out that in verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith your faith, my faith, and from the faith I build on. In other words, God is and his angels are not physically manifesting themselves to show us the way. That's important because the wrath of God is revealed the same way, in a passive way f for a specific amount of time, and then we'll look at into that. So go ahead, read verses through 23. So it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Let me stop because you there for one second. Let me stop you there. If you notice, audience, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, God's not zapping people himself. God is not active at the moment. He's passive. In other words, our actions bring forth consequences. If you get drunk and run a red light, you're going against what God teaches, and therefore you're going to receive the consequences of that. But he's not forcing you to drink, and he's not forcing you to run a red light. However, the consequences are a direct correlation to violating his rules. Go ahead. 
Yeah, and I was just going to say on that, so there's a theologian I really like. I recommend our audience look him up, uh, John Peckham. And one thing he, he kind of lays out is it, for looking at this is that God is kind of set up in this world rules of engagement, right? In other words, um, right, in other words, and it's, it's a much longer conversation than like theodicy and how is it that there's evil in the world. But in a certain sense, right, the wrath of God being revealed here like you're saying, right? It's not, you know, like some people have this image of God that he's just out to get sinners, but it's not that it's that he set up a world, right? Where free will exists. And so there's these rules of engagement. In other words, God will intervene and he does intervene sometimes, right? Where, but also because he wants to keep in, intact the, the idea of free will, he allows choices that are going to, cause terrible things. And in a, in a sense, that's his wrath. His wrath is allowing sin to have its full effect. Well, it's from cause to effect. I mean, yeah. if you're going to smoke two, three packs of cigarettes a day, don't be surprised if you end up with lung cancer later on. It's just that's what God's parameter, God's world is a cause and effect world. And he gives us the freedom Look, granted, because it is sin, sometimes the most perfect person living the perfect diet can still come down with some horrible disease. But for the most part, it's cause and effect. Go ahead. Keep reading. 19 says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood what has been made so that they are they are without excuse and i want to comment on this verse a little bit here so this is kind of what what we've talked about kind of the idea of the show right and we did one on you know natural law and stuff right in other words we all know right so there's kind of this basic scenario right if you take the most moral morally relativistic person right and you give them this scenario and you say you got two choices you can either kick a soccer ball you can kick a baby. Which one's better? What's a better thing to do? And they're going to say kick the soccer ball. And they're going to say it's worse to kick the baby. If they have any kind of moral conscience at all, they know that. Right? In other words, they don't have to be a Christian. They don't have to be, you know, a Jew. They don't have to be, you know, necessarily religious. And yet there's something in them, there's their conscience, right, which I believe is the Holy Spirit, which says, yeah, you shouldn't kick the baby. Right? So in other words... That's what we're kind of seeing here is God gave enough common sense to each person so that when we like we we're not we don't have an excuse for kind of violating that natural law. Well, let me jump in there. Yeah, we have right. stated in the past as well that that's why you take an atheist and he doesn't believe in murdering somebody sleeping with his wife, stealing, uh, lying about him. Because these, and this is where we get it from, partly where we get it from, that these truths, like the Constitution says, are self-evident, right? These things that we live by are the principles which are found in the last, uh, the second table of the Ten Commandments, the last six commandments that deal with our relationship with each other. And there's enough there for us to live a moral life in a moral society but now we're starting to see and we'll dive into that it's starting to break down. These self-evident truths are being denied. 
This is verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Yes, and this is where we're going to do a little deeper dive on these verses for today. Because what we're going to show you and what we're going to talk about is that there is a downward progression when we no longer have God in our lives. And it ends up in things we're seeing in society today where it's not the absence of religion, but they're trying to separate Christianity and bring in not secularism or world without religion. They're bringing in worship, which is paganism. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's back to what we've talked about with uh, with uh, JD JD Unwin, right? In other words, as society, right, in the '60s, decided to throw off kind of Christian morality in regards to sexuality. What have we seen? We've seen that the further we get away from the Christian ideal of monogamy in a committed married relationship between a man and a woman, the further we get away from that, the more premarital heterosexual sex, the more we accept, you know, homosexuality. And, you know, now we're into transgenderism, right? We've got people talking about maps, right? Minor attracted persons, AKA pedophiles, right? In other words, but we're, we're, we've seen that progression, right? And it goes with everything, right? The further we get from God's ideal, the more we get into things that, we never would have thought we'd get to, right? In other words, if you, right, right, if you were a Christian pastor in 1960, you'd have been laughed out of the room if you said, yeah, um, the birth control pill is going to lead to an increase in, you know, sexual uh, activity and it's going to lead to fatherless, you know what I mean? You'd have been said crazy at any point in a revolution, sexual revolution, you'd have been called crazy if you said, oh, there's going to be a slippery slope that leads downhill. And that's a good point you make, Joey. And now I want to show the audience a thread I did on Twitter on Romans chapter 1, 18 through 23. And I want to show you this because if you go back to the verses we looked at, look at the dissension or the downward spiral that takes place that the author, Paul, of the book of Romans highlighted. It says this. One they knew God. If you remember from the verse, the Bible says they knew God. However, like society today, they did not honor God or give thanks. Point number three I want to elaborate on. It says they became speculative, and I add in the margins about their origins. Let me ask you a question. If you have a child that is adopted, and he is in the most loving adopted relationship. His adoptive parents treat him the best. He is loved. He has the best situation. He is being raised right. What question, though, is still in the back of his mind always, no matter how loving the adoption is? Who are my parents? Where, where do I come from? No matter how loving it is. And so you and I believe that we were created by God. Nevertheless, when these individuals do not honor God, 
they have to then speculate about their origins and what did society come up with? Darwinian evolution. And tell them about the podcast we did about that when we uh, reacted to David Ashrick's sermon. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I think he went through because um, he was going through how Dr. Ben Carson had was getting canceled or was getting, um, so he was going to be speaking at a university and the university basically like revolted. They didn't want this guy to come. Um, and uh, he was just reacting to that in the sense that even some primary evolutionists, right, have admitted, right, that our system of morality gets knocked on its legs, right, if evolution is true. Um, and I'm reminded of the the, the kind of honest uh, evolutionary, uh, I guess he would call himself a philosopher, right, uh, Yuval Noah Harari. He wrote the book Sapiens. Um, I think he, he, wrote, he wrote a couple other books as well. But he's kind of detailed, like, what he's like the historian of the world, right? And he said, details the world from what he says, you know, prehistoric times through now and all the different species of humans that have existed. And, um, but one thing that he basically says is in the book, and he says it verbatim, and he's got some interviews saying it where he says, listen, our idea of rights, our idea of, you know, human value, right? These are really fictions that we've created that society rests on. He's like, and now in his defense, right, he says, we need those fictions, right? In other words, he doesn't want to get rid of human rights. But he's like, but really, there is no basis for these things, right? In other words, like, come on. And, and because if, and he's honest, right? And I appreciate that. He's like, if evolution is true, then why should I respect your rights? If, if it benefits me to kill you or to steal from you, then in the evo- the way evolution works, then I should do it, right? Because I should propagate my genes and it doesn't matter who I hurt, right? It doesn't matter whatever. And obviously that's a horrible, that's a horrible worldview, but it's logical if you accept evolution. Yes, and that's what was pointed out in that Asterix sermon, that if there is no God, if evolution is how we came about, then there is no grounds for ethics. There's no ground for morality. There's no beauty that our lives and this world is basically how it was said, a heaping pile of dung. There's nothing to live for. And that's the difference, folks, between evolution and the gospel. The gospel says you have eternal life if you trust in Jesus, that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid, that there is beauty, that you can have a peaceful life, that you can have peace that passes all understanding. The gospel gives you hope. Evolution does not. And that's why point four says their hearts become darkened. If there's no ground for ethics, if there's no ground for morality, if there's no ground for beauty, for appreciating beauty, then, I mean, that's depressing, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And I think this is the key that we don't want to talk about as a society, right? When after every one of these mass shootings, and right now our hearts are heavy because there's, I mean, there's so many but you know, there's just been two recently. And after every one of these mass shootings, we talk about, Oh, the guns, right. We talk about, I mean, you know, from the conservative side, we'll talk about, you know, school security and we'll talk about um, all these things. And don't get me wrong. I think 
we do need to have conversations about how we can protect our kids. So I'm not, I'm not downplaying that at all. That's very important. But I think the conversation we don't have is why are people doing this, right? Why are mm-hmm. kids coming to a place where they think the best option is to, you know, kill themselves in, in, in an act of mass murder, right? It's basically what a lot of these are. Not, not all of them. Sometimes the person's taken alive, but usually they end up either killing themselves being killed by police so what is causing people to do this and listen from my perspective it makes perfect sense what have we done we've disconnected people from their from their families right we saw that right we you know we did an episode on that groomer jeffrey marsh right but but that's that's across our country right we we disconnect people from their families we disconnect kids from their national heritage right we tell them that all of your ancestors were horrible terrible rotten no good people we disconnect them from their religious inheritance, right? Christianity. We disconnect them from, you know, the idea that, you know, you're a child of God, right? With inalienable rights. So we've disconnected them from all these things. And then we act shocked when they go out and they do horrendous things because they have a nihilistic worldview, right? So I think it's not surprising given what we've done. And that's why the next point says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And we can, I can list the foolishness in this world today. I mean, society doesn't, un, doesn't know how to answer this simple question. What is a woman? I mean, it's a foolishness. But believing that you can be born a biological male and be a woman and compete in MMA fighting. You heard recently the story, right, of that transgender man broke the skull of a woman he was fighting. What other foolishness do you see in society today? I mean, all over the place, right? Um, the idea, I mean, just, in other words, what we've seen, and I think this core, I think maybe we'll have to do a whole episode flushing this out sometime. But in other words, over the last, say, well, now really over 100 years, right? We've been in an era called the progressive era, right? In other words, kind of the first president of this era was Woodrow Wilson, right? And he basically had this idea that um, society could be remade, right? Government could work more efficiently, right? If we just had an expert class, right? If we, right, yeah, if we denied kind of the, you know, the basic kind of common sense of the lower people, we don't need them, right? That's what our country was founded on, right? That the people have a right to rule, right? And self-government. But Woodrow Wilson kind of started this idea of the expert class. And the thing that I've noticed about that is the expert class, so quote unquote, right, they're very scientific, right, you know, they're kind of the epitome of this, right, kind of the the guy who makes me think of this more than anything is Dr. Anthony Fauci. But he's a guy, he's got all the credentials, he's very, very smart, he's been in government a long time, and he thinks he has a right to rule. Right? In other words, he looks down on, and he represents a class of people who look down on democracy, really. They look down on the common man deciding his own fate. And I think what we're seeing in there is that these wise people, right, we've set them up, but they think they can run society, and they think they can know better right, than common sense and whatever because they've got the credentials, but they're lacking the power that originally – propelled this nation to do great things. I mean, this country, I do believe, 
listen, I believe that this country has got a lot of problems, but I believe this country has also advanced human rights more than any other. Right? In other words, we have led in many ways, right? Us, right, Great Britain as well, the West more broadly, in the abolition of slavery, in the advancement of human rights far further than any other place in the world. Right? We've done great things. We've gone to the moon. We've whatever. But in other words, because we had a kind of vision that we are these beings created in God, but as we've replaced that with like experts who think that they can order the world outside of God's design, well, how's it, how's it going, right? Turn on the news. How are things going? Is it working? I don't think so. Yes. I mean, society's getting worse and that is, you, that, that's undeniable. And it's because we are getting further away from our Judeo-Christian roots. You know, I like that quote you quote frequently about that the Constitution was written for a moral and righteous people. When we let go of those ethics, the Constitution can't hold and it won't hold unless we uplift those Judeo-Christian principles, not force them upon people, but the basic notion of right and wrong, the basic notion of science. You can't tell me that a man is a woman. You can't. You, you can have all the surgeries in the world. That person will remain a man. And if we let go of those basic principles, those basic facts, that's why the verse in Romans says we become fools. And not only that, here's the consequences of that on the top. It says they end up worshiping creatures instead of the creator. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we did that episode and we mentioned the vice president, Harris, how she refused to use the phrase endowed by our creator with inalienable rights you know, to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why? Why deny the creator? Well, because that implies, right, a creator, right, that gives us rights implies responsibilities, right, implies duty, right? And in the context of Kamala Harris's speech, she was, her speech, her whole speech was to deny, right, the duty that a mother and has to her child, right? So in other words, you can't very well um, appeal to a creator while denying the duty and responsibility that we have before him, right? Mm -hmm. So in other words, denying a creator makes it much easier to shirk off our duty or responsibility. Yeah, and I think that's why many people do not like Christianity, because Christianity holds you accountable, not to man, but to God. And if there is a God, you know you can't lie to him, you can't hide from him, you are accountable to him. And that's why Point six is so critical here, and I'll put it back on the screen, is because it says they worship creatures instead of the creator. All denial of God would lead to the worship of the creature instead of the creator. We see this in society where self is worshipped, right? And also, so that's the... Go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to say, so I don't know if you saw the news story recently. Greta Thunberg, right? She's the... Uh, young Swedish Poster activist child. Yeah. Who says, how dare you <laughs> to the leaders about climate change but she was just awarded a doc an honorary doctorate of theology right which I found quite interesting right because her whole thing is she talked about the environment 
she was awarded this doctrine of theology, and I thought, that's fitting, right? In other words, because when you, listen, I'm for environmentalism in the sense that I think we should take care of the earth, right? I don't think we should litter, right? I think we should try to curb pollution, right? You know, reasonable things to take care of the home that God's given us. But the modern environmental movement, they very much talk in religious terms. They say Mother Earth, right? They talk about, you know, right, human beings are a blight on the Earth, right? Which, if you know the creation story, right, actually the Earth was created for man, right? In other words, we weren't created for the Earth, right? We're not the blight, right? We should take care of the Earth. But in other words, so I just see this is a religious movement, right? This environmentalism. And what do we see in Romans, right? They will worship creatures or worship creation, rather than the creator and look and for those who believe in climate change and 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 the fact like you just said that we should take care of the earth look there's an aspect of that that's legitimate the bible in revelation chapter 11 says that god is coming back to destroy those who destroy the earth the problem that joey and i have is the solutions being brought forth the solutions are based on an ideology that is looking to subvert man, to subvert the individual, that's looking to make a global hierarchy of power instead of leaving the power to the people. So yes, we shouldn't pollute. Yes, we should curb uh, pollution. But the the answers that the globalists have are not the answers the Bible is looking for. And not only that, recently here with that uh representative in Tennessee, I believe, who was outed. He preached a sermon recently talking about calling God Mother God and asking ancestral spirits to be his voice as he preaches a word. Well, he was preaching in a universalist church. He's appealing to everything that is not God in that sermon precisely what Roman is saying here. They're worshiping the creature instead of the creator. And we see that in society today. And that is going to lead us as we wrap up here. It's going to lead us to the consequences that then we find in verses 24 to the end of the chapter. And you want to stick around for that in our next episode, because they're basically, well, Romans is basically a newspaper telling us what's happening today. Joey, any final thoughts here as we wrap up? I just think we should go back to that beginning, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, right? So in other words, the more we see that what the world is offering isn't working, the more emboldened we should become to declare Christ, right? I think Paul said, I've been determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified, right? In other words, we don't have to be ashamed of that. The gospel is a path to peace and to healing, right? We think of tra- all the trauma, right? Particularly those in Nashville and Louisville right now, right? The gospel is that answer, right? It is the hope that those people can see their loved ones again. So it's like, we don't have to be ashamed of it. We can proclaim it. Um, and until next time, Maranatha. <laughs> come soon. Amen. Hey, yeah. And hey, let me say this. The gospel is the answer because the gospel is the only thing that can change hearts. Look, even if you don't believe in God, even if you don't believe in Jesus, if everyone behaved like Jesus, there would be no mass shootings. There would be no more 
more hungry people because all the billionaires of the world could basically feed everybody. If everybody behaved like Jesus, we'd be in heaven. And he has offered that to you. Anyone can come to him if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until next time, we'll continue here in Romans. Don't miss out. Take care, everybody. Thank you.